Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are stacking these conversations up. I get to see you with ever-increasing frequency, Aaron. Uh, this is terrific. Terrific. It's so good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a distracted morning. Okay. Yeah, I'm hearing a little bit of I'm hearing a little bit of noise in the background. Are yeah, you I, running a vibrator? What's going on back? <laughs> right. Uh yes, I've been trying to mute my mic in between talking. I've got people finally here uh to cut out my ceilings and walls in my house and start drying things out. Um Oh, and who, okay. who knows? Maybe it'll be replaced by the time my son moves back to Tennessee in a couple of weeks. But yes, there, right. you are hearing the sound of saws. In the okay, so the flood is over. The water has receded. Uh, the the, the, the uh, you're out of the ark, kind of. And now there's some work to be done at that there's, house to make it habitable again. There's a lot of work to be done. Yes, lots of floors and walls and ceilings that will need to be replaced. Okay. But such is life. Well, you know what I really think is I really think you need to get out of town. You need to go on a vacation. Unfortunately, I don't have one scheduled until June. Okay. Well, I can wait. What do you got going? Okay. Well, you said you would do this, and I'm holding you to it. You and I are going to lead a a week-long walking trip, a retreat, a path retreat on a path walking through England. How does that sound? It sounds great. But you're saying a path retreat, and you are speaking of the Samson material that guys go through in every meeting right. that includes every meeting. A path yeah, right. We read the path, which are. has seven stages, right? Mm-hmm. Has seven stages. So here's the idea: we're going to take, we're going to go on a on a walk for seven days, mm-hmm. and each day we're going to do a stage of the path together. And we're going to talk about what it means, and then we'll talk to other guys about what it has meant in our lives personally. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, yes. And maybe we're actually going to adventure. Maybe we're going to make progress on two paths over the course of the week. That physical path through, uh, well, it's a part of England called Wessex, a very historic, uh, picturesque, absolutely gorgeous English countryside. Uh, we'll be staying in inns that go back centuries will be eating and drinking in pubs uh and uh, not everybody will be drinking alcohol i will be i'm going to be non-alcoholic on this trip. uh but uh and for those of you who haven't been to england in a long time and you still believe that old saw that the english can't cook and the food's going to suck nothing could be farther from the truth gastronomically uh, the British have made huge advances in the last couple of decades, so <laughs> they it'll be good food. Huh? You're apologizing for the British. I'm sure they appreciate it. Um, well, we'll, well, we'll get to uh, the- the, I mean, I first went to England as a young man when I was 18, you know, and what they served me was this was steak and kidney pie, and it was absolutely inedible. <laughs> They've added a lot of Indian food to that uh, to that island, I'll tell you. Oh yeah, sure. The, some of the finest Indian food in the world you're going to get in. Yep. Well, it uh, sounds it sounds amazing. You did this a version of this years mm-hmm. ago. How long ago was that? Yeah. Like a decade it's ago. Been, yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, it's been it, a decade. It sounded so amazing, and you guys had such a great, such an intimate time. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. we're walking together. It's it really does feel like that Jesus on the road conversations with his dudes, and we're all going to mm-hmm. get to walk together and with Jesus on the road. Yeah, and and then have times of laughter and have some times of crying probably, and just it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be so fun. And June should be a good version of British weather, right? Well, that's the thing about English weather. English weather is nothing if unpredictable. Now, I've had always great uh, good fortune when it comes to weather. And I, I, I haven't been in many rains, only a couple drenching downpours, but no promises. So for those who are coming, and this trip is limited, you know, there's only... A total of 10 guys. So it's you and me and eight guys. So the first eight guys who sign up are going to be able to come on this one. What we're going to do, hopefully, is we're, we're go- this will be the first of other walking retreats in other places at other times. But, we're, you know, we're setting the template here. It'll be the very first of these structured path retreats. Well, it's exciting. Um, and yeah. so how do people get information about this? Where do they go? What do they do? Hopefully, by the time this uh, episode airs, there will be a banner of some sort on the Samson website, or it will have appeared in the Noble Briefing. By the way, listeners, if you are not receiving the monthly newsletter of the Samson Society called uh, the Noble Briefing, then make sure you go to samsonsociety.org.com and register there, and that way you'll be up to date on everything that's happening. And just a reminder, because I hate crap like that, I don't ever sign up for stuff like that. I I have signed up for the Noble Briefing, just so you know. Okay, good. But it is once a month and just gives you what's happening so that you're informed. It is not, oh, good, you gave us your email. We are just going to uh, treat you like a girl we're stalking. Yes, yeah, no, no. You don't get hammered with emails. You get one email a month. Uh, yeah, that failing, uh, you can send me an email at nate at samsonhouse.org if there's no other way and say, hey, I'm interested in the trip and uh, I'll respond. And hopefully by the time you do that, it will not already be fully subscribed. Hey, I believe passionately because I've seen so much come out of shared experience with guys, especially if we put some adventure to it. We put some challenge to it. This is not a challenging walk, by the way. Uh, We're not going to be backpacking, Aaron. Right. Okay. There's actually a service. You can bring a suitcase. There's a service that will carry our luggage from one end to the next. This is a walk. It's a walk. It's not, we're not going to sashay, but we may saunter, but it's (laughs) not a, it's not a hike. Not a hike. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure the highest hill we climb. There is one place where we climb an ancient hill to an ancient fork to look out over the Dorset countryside. But even then, I think it's only a few hundred feet high. So, yeah, we're not scaling Everest. We're not climbing Kilimanjaro. Uh, Why did I start that sentence? I don't know why I did. Uh, This isn't it's a challenge. Oh, I'm not a super challenge. That's right. Okay. Well, I, yeah. Well, however, even just trips like this, 
when we're walking uh, eight to 10 hours a day, uh, I'm sorry, eight to 10 miles a day is all. And there's plenty to see along the way. So we'll stop at, you know, at ancient church here, there, uh, you know, a castle we will wander through a town. We'll stop at a pub for lunch, that kind of thing. But uh, but we'll hit some obstacles along the way. Oh, by the way, very first day we're going to be in Salisbury and uh, at Salisbury Cathedral. Oh, man. And uh, at that point, we're only 15 minutes away from Stonehenge. If anybody hasn't been to Stonehenge and wants to go, that's doable. Uh, but some things will go wrong. I know they will. But when we have shared experience and we overcome obstacles together and we spend time together, not just formally, but informally. Yeah, we have some structured time, but we're also, it's not just explicit learning, it's also implicit learning. It's uh, relationship formation. Amazing things happen. I'm a huge believer in getting guys together to do something or go somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a guest coming up who takes a little more radical approach. Uh, so if strolling through England doesn't really uh, sound like you're a cup of tea and you want to do something maybe a little bit more hardcore, then you'll probably really be interested in our guest. So stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest this week is the co-founder and lead pastor of uh, an amazing organization, an adventure retreat organization in Andrews, North Carolina, Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. Brody Holloway is joining us today. Hey, Brody. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys. All right. So Andrews, North Carolina, right there, nestled in the in the Blue Ridge Mountains, only about a four hour drive from Nashville, but a world mm -hmm. away once you get uh, up into that wilderness. How did you get there and uh, how did you wind up doing what you're doing? Um, I So I grew up, I'm seventh generation here just in the southern Appalachian. So we're right outside of the Great Smokies National Park. And uh, mm -hmm. so I grew up in these mountains and then. Um, in my, when I was about 20, I went to work at a, at a, a camp kind of outfitter in West Virginia. And mm -hmm. that was while I was in college and spent, spent a good bit of time up there. I really enjoyed that. Um, I became a, a Christ follower when I was, uh, just before I turned 20. And then, uh, when I was 22, I went to work at a, more of a residential camp, what most people would probably be familiar with kind of the, you know, kids stay in little cabins and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of more the traditional model of camp. It was a dude ranch actually. And I had background mm -hmm. and like, I did, you know, like horses and rodeo and stuff like that. So then uh, those two experiences, um, were, were really formative in the way that, that my sort of my practical, view of discipleship were formed experiential um like based discipleship i guess you would say and then relationships mm -hmm. so um the one camp that where where we were running trips on the new and golly rivers which is you know pretty big world-class whitewater i saw like it was amazing how when you take a group of people down something i mean it's it's 
that is big white water. It's like, it feels death defying at times. And mm-hmm. it just, it tears down every wall in a person's life. People just get real chatty, real open. You're sitting around the fire. People get super, um, like, like, uh, I remember leading a trip and there was this guy just gotten out of special forces and he was, and I was having a hard time having a conversation with this guy and, Man, he just, he, after a trip on the Golly River, it was just like, you've got this crazy shared experience. It's a lot of adrenaline. And so then having amazing conversations, but that, that program didn't do discipleship real well. It was Christian based, but it wasn't mm-hmm. super intentional. Um, the second place that I worked, the dude ranch, they were real faithful in the way they handled the scripture, but they mm-hmm. didn't do the relationship component well. They were, there, it was a very, it was a really broad staff to, to, to student ratio where the, the new river deal and the golly river deal that was like, man, it was one dude with four or five kids. And it was just mm-hmm. a lot of relational um, interaction um, along with these, these, these big shared experiences on whitewater or climbing or whatever it was. And then the second camp I worked at, uh, they taught the Bible really well, but there was no real platform for like, you know, like a small group setting. So mm-hmm. the, the vision mm-hmm. and dream for Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters was to take both of those components, to faithfully handle the scripture, to teach the Bible effectively, expository teaching is at the center of what we do, but then to maintain a really high um, staff ratio to the people that come through and then mm-hmm. to give them phenomenal shared experiences. And, and, and a, in an event here, we try to give people you know, five straight days of once in a lifetime experiences. So, so I've got, I've got a question, but I, I, it needs a, it needs a preface question. Um, I'm thinking of Jesus and his disciples and how everything you described seems to be what we experience as we follow Jesus and his dudes through their years with him, that he was taking them places and teaching simple lessons that related to those moments and those places and what God's kingdom was about. So he had the experiential and the teaching, and I want to hear you talk a little about that. But first, we need to define our terms. I want to hear what what do you mean and what is in your heart when you talk about discipleship? Because that's one of those words we all assume means the same thing to everybody. I don't think it does. So give it to us. Hit us. Okay. Yeah. So when we talk about discipleship, what we're talking about is patterning our lives after the the teaching of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and then the ultimate example that Jesus set. So like in Hebrews chapter three, um, the preacher who's writing that, that letter, which is written as a sermon, he says, consider Jesus. So discipleship for a Christ follower begins with that word consider has the, has carries this meaning of, of give deep consideration. Oftentimes in scripture, the, the translation would be reckoned. So think about what it is to follow Jesus. Then we've been, get, we're first and foremost, we're disciples of Jesus. So I'm not a disciple of the person who's discipling me first mm-hmm. and foremost, you know, Paul says, imitate me. So there is that one-on-one component to discipleship, but as I imitate Christ. So discipleship first and foremost is considering Jesus, patterning our life, our thought processes, our message, our words, our manner of living. Repeatedly in the New Testament, we're told live a life worthy of the gospel, live a manner of life worthy of the gospel. Those are messages that were given. So discipleship begins with walking and living in a manner 
worthy of or haven't considered Jesus. So I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm considering the way he taught and lived, who he was. And then in the context of what we're doing, it's, um, it's helping people on that journey, guiding them in that process um, to where like, yeah, like what Paul says when he says imitate to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're giving them an example. Um, so, so, that, so yeah, so that multifaceted piece is important as I'm, as I'm hearing you talk, because a lot of discipleship programs I encountered over my years in the church and leading in the church was very informational based, was very, let's plumb the scriptures. Uh, and so it was very Pharisaic in that Jesus said, man, you guys search the scriptures diligently. By the way, it was all about me and you've never met me yet. And so there are versions of discipleship that can miss the actual relationship and soul change that comes when the gospel comes from the intimate knowing and ultimate reckoning of the work is done because of the person and work of Jesus. Uh, so I'm, I'm hearing you say, no, it's got to be this multifaceted thing that each piece of that is powerful, but it all has to lead to that. So tell me what you think when you think of Jesus discipling, hanging out with his dudes in wild places. Oh man, I love that. I love that, that picture. Um, the, I, I remember reading a book years ago. I don't even remember what the book was. I was a new Christian. And I remember this, this guy, he painted this picture of like Jesus and his guys camped out, you know, by the, by the sea of Galilee. And cause those guys, most theologians think that the majority of those, that inner circle of a dozen guys that they were young dudes, you know, like a rabbi mm -hmm. at age 30 is, you know, collecting a group of 17, 18, 19 year old dudes. And, and I just imagine you know, those guys are, are, are horsing around and somebody accidentally hits Jesus in the face with a dirt clod, you know, and, uh, they're, they're in the edge of the water. Me and my brothers used to do this, just get in the water by the river and just, just like you would snowball fight with those dirt clods at each other. And I'm picturing Jesus gets hit, you know, and, and, uh, everybody just kind of freezes for a minute. And then Jesus just picks one up and just starts beaning people. And he's right in the thick of it. I think just <laughs> that idea of, of living life with him um, is fascinating to me. And, and that's where I think the relational component and the shared relationships and shared experiences are critical to, to, to leading others in the journey and investing in others. Um, so uh, I think, I think that's, that's important, but also the message of Jesus is critical. You know, if, if it's not for the message of the gospel, the call to repentance, the call to consider the cost, count the cost, put, leave everything and follow him, turn from sin, go and sin no more. You know, the, the message of Jesus is more than the message of a great sage or rabbi or humanitarian. It's the message of what, you know, Bonhoeffer's message of when, when Christ bids him, uh, calls him and he bids him come and die. It's, it's taking up my cross and following him, which means taking up my cross and following him through that crucifixion and resurrection. Um, yeah. So Nate, I know we've had shared experiences at, at camp type places yeah. where an important component is almost the, I, I want to use the word trauma, but not in a negative way, but there's something mm -hmm. that is scary. It creates yeah. the adrenaline and it bonds 
people together. It's the whole best friends from foxholes, the filet love that comes from that shared fearful or terrifying experience. So I'd be curious to hear both of you talk about that while I yeah, go talk know, to a mitigation person. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, to me, that comes both ways. It can come in facing and overcoming a physical obstacle. That's why I love to go on long walks and hikes and those kind of adventures with guys. Uh, and I have experienced just that dizzying, terrifying rush of whitewater rafting. Uh, and it does just unzip you. It also can be walking with another brother through the valley of shadow of uh, the valley of the shadow of death. Might be the death of a marriage. It might be the death of a career and reordering one's life entirely, having to rebuild that just terrifying moment when everything blows up because of the way you've been behaving. But not, but 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 to be able to be with other people through that time, especially if they have experienced the same, uh, you know, terrifying trauma. Uh, I just think there's nothing like it. And I don't think any seminar, weekend, intensive, notebook, workbook can ever substitute for the relational experience. You agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 uh, uh, percent. One one thousand percent. I mean, I really do think it's what's modeled for us. And we're we are we are and were created for community. We're created mm-hmm. for fellowship. We uh we train about 130 young adults a year to work in our programs. So we have a we have a a 12 week internship for the summer, but we have a 15 month internship. That 15 month inter- internship is a college accredited program, and so they spend 15 months with us. And there's about 35 young adults in that program, and it's uh it's there's there are four components to what they they get in that program. There's leadership development. Um, work or vocational skill. They might work in marketing. They might work in, in, in grounds, maintenance, construction, food service, whatever. Um, there's, so there's, there's leadership development, work skills. Then there's, there's true discipleship, which is our structure, which we can get into if you want to talk about that. That's that relational component of they are in what we call fire teams. We borrow from a military mm-hmm. terminology. Fire teams are three to four of them. Two, fire, two to three fire teams equal a community group. And so there, uh-huh. there's a small structure within a small, but a little bit bigger structure within the program. And so um, there's there's a tight relational component, and they're learning from that. And then there's theological training. So they just came through a class on biblical exposition. So they're getting each each facet of the existence: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But yes, the the we are created for community, and in that in that training of young adults, one of the things we have them read is, is Bonhoeffer's book life together, where he talks Mm -hmm. about, you can't fully appreciate the need for community until you've experienced loneliness and or solitude and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You can't, you, you don't crave community until you've had that experience, but also the more that you're immersed and surrounded by people and the more you grow in your faith, the more you realize it's, I'm going to be healthiest in community when I'm spending that time alone with the Lord in solitude. Sure. So it's this, you know, coming together right. in community, sharpening one another, sharing one another, uh, sharing life with one another, and then um, spending time with the Lord 
yeah, it's, it's yes, I agree with what you're saying 100%. Wow. Uh, I did pay a visit to your website, and I was astonished just by the photograph of the staff. I mean, this is a uh, – what is – you think the ideal ratio, and and I understand now you do you do a lot of work with youth. You guys have uh, served over a hundred thousand kids so far, uh, but you also facilitate retreats for adults, different kinds. Uh, um, is the does the ratio change with within age groups? And what what to you is an ideal ratio between a leader or coordinator, a facilitator, and a team member? Yeah, great, great question. And yes, we have a we have kind of a, a goal and a model. So if we run, let's say this past weekend, we ran a student ministry event for MLK weekend. That's a big weekend for us. We ran our third winter conference. It went mm. from Friday to Monday. There were about 400 students here or 400 people here. But so it's small in terms of what big st- like like big conferences look like. A lot of conferences are five, six, seven thousand people. It's small yeah. in, in relationship to that. It's large compared to the weekly church, you know, activity that most kids are going to be involved in or most, you know, men's group or something like that. It's a good size. Yeah, so, yeah. so 400 students um, within that 400 attendees, there's probably, there's probably 40 adults that are, that are coming because that wasn't, that wasn't 400 students from one church. That was a group mm-hmm. of churches and a couple of school, private schools that came. So they come in here. If you take the the adults that are driving buses and, and and bringing those students out, they're probably 360 to 370 students, and then we're going to have about a one to three and a half, one to four ratio of our staff to students, and we carry that. Wow, with, we carry that with adult conferences as well. Yeah, it's heavy. I mean, it's it's it is literally literally it's unique in this world the ratio that we carry. It's unheard of. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if you could just spitball with me. <laughs> I'm a little bit uh, apprehensive about doing this because I don't want anybody to interpret this as a plan or a promise. Any of the pirate monks out there listening, I'm not saying this is exactly what we're going to do. But if I'm sitting down with you and you are an experienced guy who's been doing this for a long time, you know, men, you've done lots of retreats. Uh uh, and uh, you're a pastor as well as a, you know, a, a guide in so many ways. So let's say, let's just say hypothetically, let's say we've got oh, 30 or 40 guys from around the country. They know each other. A lot of them have never been in the same physical room, but they've been meeting regularly in Zoom rooms. They've been making daily phone calls with at least one guy. We call that guy a Silas. Uh, all of them have shown up because they have some reparative work to do. Some, there's some restoration that needs to be done. Uh, some sort of out-of-control behavior has brought them to the end of themselves. <laughs> They've experienced now the grace of God. They're in a rebuilding phase and uh, encouraging one another to love and good works, right? Uh, first of all, if you were going to uh, kind of design the ideal event for these guys. How many days would you have? And looking around at your, we've got an age range here of guys anywhere from their 20s to their 60s. Yeah, we even got a few guys older than that. Um, the bell, top of the bell curve is probably late 30s to early 40s. 
If you were going to design an experience for these guys, ideally, if you could do anything you could, what would it look like? Uh, oh, man, this that's in our wheelhouse. That's what we love doing. Um, so I would start by saying everything that we do is scalable. So it can be a group of 20 dudes or it can be a group of 400 dudes. It's we everything's scalable. So we have okay. Um, we have the ability if, if it was 400 guys, uh, we would still operate in that small group discussion setting the same way we would if it was 20 guys. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a large we have a large staff. We have a, a really large staff. Um, but what what it would look like is probably most guys I have I have found that most guys you, you start if, if you get more than two nights away from home guys with responsibility start to look at their phone mm-hmm. start to check out and I, if I could have them for a, a five day deal that would be awesome but it's not very mm-hmm. realistic so most of our men's stuff is um, is a two night event um, heavy on the teaching. And then, Mm -hmm. and then what we do is we just have a recreational component where I'll be honest, we don't, our recreation, we don't follow up an activity with like a decompressing conversation about like, we've got, uh, say, say we do, say we take a group of guys and we do, uh, an aerial obstacle course. That's, that takes an hour for a guy to get through and it's, and it's three stories and it's, you know, it's 50 feet at the top level and, guys are going through this thing and then they end with a big swing off of it. And then when they get on the ground, we don't circle them up. The, our, our approach to this is this is not, there's not a right or wrong here, but we've chosen not to circle them up and say, this tower is like life and here's the correlation mm-hmm. and here's the relationship. We don't do that. What we do is we just let them have a shared experience and then they're going to have conversations. They're going to laugh and have fun. And then when we come together we teach the Bible, and what we would do is we would teach on um, dominion. God's call. So in the garden, God called the first man to be a provider and a protector, um, to work and keep, to provide and to protect, to cultivate. And so that providing is cultivating, and that is mm-hmm. relationally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, vocationally. A man is to be a provider, not just in terms of roof over the head, shoes on the feet, it's relationally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, all these facets of how you provide as a man. And, and then to, so to provide and to protect, so to work mm-hmm. and to keep that protect, same thing. It's not just physical protection, it's protection emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. I become the safe place. And so we, we would talk to men about how God put Adam in the garden and said, take dominion over this. And then he failed. And so Jesus is the one who comes and restores dominion. Mm-hmm. And Jesus restores dominion over <clears throat> creation, over temptation, over the psychological, the emotional, the spiritual. He, he is the second Adam who, who restores us to our proper place of dominion, then, then calls us to be those who live in dominion over. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, I, so our call to men is to live in dominion as God has designed you to live, not in some, not in some like inflated idea of masculinity where it's like this. Um, we, we don't we don't try to overreach what masculinity is supposed to be, but we recognize the biblical call to be 
providers and protectors. And that begins with providing and protecting for my own spiritual growth, nourishment, mm-hmm. development, healing. And so we would, we would, the teaching would be driven at that. And then there would be breakout sessions um, in a weekend like that, where we talk about everything from cultural issues um, to how, you know, like, like I had uh, our, our, recent men's event had a dude come in that pushed special operations guys in a combat theater had a guy come in from from northern virginia that's a pentagon employee that did uh that started i mean this guy's a high-ranking government official he started a, a men's bible study in the pentagon that's now got 30 some guys coming to it so like what's that look like so he did a breakout on what's it look like in the workplace so we try mm-hmm. to get guys hands-on stuff but then we also really get into the, you know, like personal holiness, pursuit of um, of your own relationship with the Lord. Uh, Robert McShane, Scottish pastor, really well-known quote mm-hmm. that he's attributed yeah, yeah. with. The greatest need my people have for me is my personal holiness. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so so at that event that you're, that you know, that you're talking about, we, we do several of those a year. And that's what it is. It's a group of guys coming together to worship the Lord to hear from the word of God, to hear testimonies, to hear the exposition of scripture, which is we're going to teach the Bible. And then we're going to have those set aside times of shared experience. We're going to, we eat really well. Like we, we take food very serious here. So we're going to mm-hmm. eat good and then, uh, let, let guys just sharpen each other and, uh, let dudes be dudes, you know? Mm. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Uh, and it's a long view question. You're not an old guy yet, but you've got some years on. You started this thing in 1997. So mm-hmm. you're pushing 25 years uh, mm-hmm. there. Uh, you spent a long time in ministry. A lot has happened in our culture in those 25 years. Hard to believe, hard to believe that the first uh, streaming porn site didn't go online until 2006. Hard to believe that the iPhone wasn't introduced until six months later in 2007. Uh, But then uh, the cultural impact of living online and now, uh, yeah, now that you mentioned hookup apps and all kinds of stuff, Uh, a man's, uh, uh, let's just say a man's uh, moral options, behavioral options at least, have really multiplied in the last, you know, since in the last 15, 20 years. Have you seen a change, especially in the younger men over those years as or or is it men are men and the issues really don't move? What's your answer? Uh, No, it has changed drastically because of the accessibility. Um, I heard I heard a pastor say, it's easier to watch a sex act on your phone now than it is to get up and go refill your coffee cup, you know, or mm-hmm. to get a sandwich yeah. from the refrigerator. And you can do it. You can do it in a room with 30 other people now um, mm-hmm. where, you know, when I was when I was a teenager in the 80s, it was, you know, I, I was I was meeting with a guy. I'm, I'm doing some discipleship with a, a young dude in, in our community that, that comes out of a, a drug and addiction background. And mm-hmm. we were meeting uh, a couple of days ago. He's struggling in his relationship with his baby's mama. Um, and we talked about how um, when I was, when I was, and you guys will relate, I know this is y'all's story too. I had to go, like, I would go to my buddy Phil's house and we would watch pornographic films on a VHS tape. But there mm-hmm. was, there was a planning process to make it happen. And right. now, 
the the volume of young dudes that come through here and men and dads and and that come mm-hmm. through here that it's it's a hundred percent and it's everyone's got accessibility to it twenty four seven. You better believe it's changed. And and what here's what's interesting. Um, had a conversation with uh, my teenage daughter yesterday because it's it's something I talked to Mark. I have six kids. I have three biological mm-hmm. children and three adopted kids. Um, two of my kids are grown and out of the house, but and and my youngest kids who are adopted, um, a couple of them come out of uh, families of addiction. But one of the things I was talking to my seventeen year old daughter about yesterday was we're talking about the effects of porn on 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 the boys that she interacts with on a day to day basis. She goes to public mm-hmm. school, and and it's like it has so jaded the way that young dudes see reality. And this is, this is something that I think is super important is that we, we know that all truth is God's truth, but now guys like Andrew Huberman, you know, guys who are leading in the neuroscience field, guys who are leading in the field of psychiatry and psychology are now saying, Oh, we can see the the horribly damaging effects on the brain's Mm -hmm. ability to produce dopamine and adrenaline. So it's interesting because I heard Huberman in an interview. I I wanted to watch this interview because they were going to talk about the effects of pornography. And he said, I'm not making a moral statement because the dude's not a believer. He's saying, Mm -hmm. I'm only looking at this scientifically, but we're losing the ability to enter into emotional or sexual relationships because we're in this third party position where we're observing. And then when we enter into the relationship, we're confused and it's a different dopamine production. It's a, and, and then he was also talking about how you go from experience to experience to experience mm-hmm. from woman mm-hmm. to woman, to woman, to woman. And I thought, this is fascinating. This guy's not a believer, but he's speaking, he's speaking straight to the way God designed a man to work and process and experience. And to, to answer your question, we, it is the number one. So we're this year, we will have our 150,000th person come through snowbird it is the number one issue that we're dealing with right now. But I mean, I mean, I don't know percentage wise, but it's, it is leaps and bounds ahead of every mm-hmm. other issue that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Among boys and girls. Yeah. Oh yeah. Boys and girls. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Men and women. Absolutely. Men and women. Okay. Yep. Let me, yeah. 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 Let me ask you a question. I had to step away, but I've been listening and uh, you, you talked a little bit about this. The, the holiness aspect. Can we touch on the difference between my holiness and my sin management? Because for a lot of people, those two things practically mean the same thing. If I don't look at porn, now I'm holy. Mm. And so the difference between holiness and sin management, will you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, that's so, I think it's so important because you know, you hear people sin management. I like that terminology. And some people, what is it? Some people will talk about, um, you know, like, like adjustment of moral behavior or more therapeutic moral deism, you know, this idea of I've got to, I've got to manage my behavior and then I'm, I'm pleasing to God and others. You know, Jesus, Jesus addresses this so clearly when he talks about the condition of a person's heart and, and, and the motivation of the heart and the motivation even of the mind. And yeah, I, the way that we describe holiness to students is we talk about, so we do this, we do this when we're training our whitewater guides, 
there's a section we run we run multiple rivers we run we run some some rivers one not too far from you guys so we run we're outfitting on the Okoe river which is in tennessee mm-hmm. um, but we also we run a local river here that is not that intense as far as the white water it's it's not that intense it's it's not a float trip but it's not like intense white water but the water temperature is crazy it's like in the in the high 30s and so if you fall into that water it's it's literally shocking to people when they fall into it and one of the things that we do when we're doing our guide training for that river is we require our guides to do what we call the long swim which is they go into the water and they have to they have to float about a 450 yard section of that river in that 38 degree water it takes them about four and a half minutes and then they have to get out of the water and about half of them can't get out we have to pull them out we use ropes and rescue swimmers to pull them out and the reason behind it is to to for them to understand the necessity of getting someone out of that water if they fall into it and we will do that we will only do that training on a warm day because when we pull them out of that water we have them lay on the hot asphalt at the boat ramp and soak the heat out of the asphalt and from the sun. And that's the fastest way to warm them up. When we talk about holiness, we're talking about the radiating heat from relationship with Jesus, from the glory of Jesus, from who Jesus is, not who I am. Holiness doesn't start with who I am. It starts with who Jesus is. And that first off, it begins with him applying and imputing, we would say, is the theological word, his righteousness to me. So, you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, for my sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, I could become the righteousness of God. So I receive righteousness based on the work and the merit of Jesus. Then that holiness is that purifying effect of living in the radiant glory of Jesus. So like, again, going back to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews one, he says, He's the image of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his representation. So Jesus is, is the radiating glory of God revealed to man. So it's, it's, the picture would be like the sun provides this life and heat and purifying effect. You take a pair of stinky socks and you hang them on a clothesline in the sun and it'll purify, it'll clean them better than a washing machine will over a period of time. The sun radiates and purifies Jesus is like the radiant heat and the rays that come from the existence of the triune God. So to live in relationship with Jesus is to live in that purifying effect of knowing him. That is far different than what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. Let me memorize a bunch of scripture. Let me modify my behavior, at least in public. Let me practice piety. <laughs> let me try to be, let me try to present myself in a very pious way. Um, when what Jesus does is he doesn't address first the outward behavior, but he addresses the purifying condition of the heart. And that comes from him. So surrender of the heart and the mind to Jesus. Does that answer that question? Yeah, I, I think it's so important to listeners who are in the middle of the struggle, what you just said which is my righteousness and my holiness is complete in Christ, but I might not be experiencing all that is in Christ practically. So I'm a prince eating out of a dumpster, a prince still, but I'm still eating trash and experiencing the pain of my sin. So that holiness is, is really the ever 
the holiness you're talking about is the ever-increasing experience as I abide in Christ of that which is already complete in me because of Christ. And there's yeah. a lot of hope in that because I don't lose out because I struggle. I don't lose out because I fail, but I miss out on the experience of full and abundant life. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The I already like that not phraseology. Yet. I don't lose out, but I miss out. That does make, I like that. Yeah. And I, I I'm tired of missing out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I want all there is to get. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. And the, so, yes, the, that, that, answers that, the question. that frustration that we've all experienced when you fail, you, you, you know, you know what God expects, you mess up and you fail. And that, I think that is a critical intersection in life where when a man fails, how he responds is, is, is so important because for men who are called to take dominion in a creation that is fallen and to be light bearers, to be those who lead the way, it doesn't mean we're not going to fall. It doesn't mean we're not, it, we're not going to be bulletproof. We're going to be bulletproven. And we're, when I, when I end up face down, I'm going to get back up and the strength that, that Jesus undergirds me with, and I'm going to continue on the journey. Um, and I'm going to just keep fighting and clawing. There's too much quit. I think, I do think there's a lot of quit in dudes today. I sent, uh, two nights ago, we, we, at th this winter event, I was talking to a truck driver who was a bus driver that brought a group of students to this event. And he was just belly aching, man. He was like, I don't even know this dude. And we, he said, and I had spoken, I'd given a talk and, uh, he was sitting in the back and he said, can I talk to you? And he starts talking about how, um, he's, he's self-medicating with alcohol and he's talking about the stress and pressure of life. And there was a point where I was like, Hey man, right now you're just, you're just complaining and you're just whining. And I don't allow my boys to whine. That's a rule we have at my house. You don't get to whine. You can accept responsibility, admit where you failed but you don't get to whine about it. You don't get to feel sorry for yourself. I think, I think that right now, um, too many guys have, uh, too many guys are self-deprecating. They're self-loathing. They are, they have a victim mindset so that when they do make a mistake, they do fail. They feel sorry for themselves. They play the victim. And it's like, no, you're a, you're a dude that just got shot on the battlefield or just took a blade to the gut. Like, get up the the war still going on you know what i mean like we can't have a quitter's mentality no matter how many times we take shots fall down mess up get a handful of dirt and blood and just get yourself back to your feet in the strength of jesus and his call on your life and recognize we're in a war man we're in a war you gotta that, fight that's so it just reminds me of the the man who was uh who was lame sitting next to the pool that had the water stirred up and jesus comes to him and all he has is complaints about nobody will help me. It's all everybody else's fault to which Jesus asks him, do you, do you want to be healed? And I, <laughs> I don't think he even answers the question, but Jesus heals him. But the killer part to me is right after that, he's ratting Jesus out versus the guy that was blind that Jesus put the mud in who also stood before the leaders. And this guy's character, even though he had experienced that healing was equally as weak. And I think it's one of the strangest miracles recorded in the gospel. You've got a person who's full of whininess, who Jesus has to ask if he actually wants to be healed, then heals him, and his character is just the same after the healing as it was before. 
Mm. And I am not making any points on that. I'm just saying that's the story. And it sounded real familiar to what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. That, I, there's, it's crazy. I think, you know, the guys in y'all's network, the, the thing that I want to see men do is embrace responsibility. And it, there is a fine line because uh, it, it is so important what we've talked about. It's not let me be moral. That's not what we're talking about. Let me author my own holiness. Let me be religiously elite. It's not that. It's be a fighter, man. Like, and fighters, like, I watched an interview with, uh, I watched an interview with uh, Ken Horton, who who beat Muhammad Ali, and and I went down this rabbit hole of watching these old seventies. The the heavyweight battle in the seventies was mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I remember as a child, my dad and my granddad followed this stuff. And you had Muhammad Ali and Ken Horton, and you had uh, George Foreman came on the scene, and then Larry Holmes came on the scene, and Joe Frazier. Those dudes were savages, and every one of them got knocked out at some point. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Mike Tyson has six losses, four by knockout. Like the greatest fighters are going to get hit and go down. And it's like, but they go back to training. They go back to f- what they know, which is fighting. And in the garden, our first father, when the, when the serpent shows up, he doesn't protect. He doesn't fight. And then when he's confronted with it, he bl- he casts blame. He's like, well, the, you gave me this woman, and here's what she did. And then this happened. And, and it's like, quit making excuses, man. Quit making excuses. Just fight. And know that Jesus' strength is the strength that you're going to abide in. And conquer and have victory in, and that he his grace is sufficient when you fail. Well, I think that is a great place to ask. How do people check out your stuff? Find out what you're doing. Get involved. How do they find you? So the website is swoutfitters.com. That stands for Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. We're we're easy to find on Google. Swoutfitters.com. Um, we're all over social media: uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, we're easy to find. Um, same deal. Uh, a lot. Uh, we're not hard to find, and we have a lot going on. And it, it, the Lord has given us so much favor. Um, we grew by thirteen percent in the COVID year. Uh, we've grown by another another ten percent since then. And uh, everything that we do right now is just maxing out and filling up our men's. Con- our next men's conference is in March. There's some space in that. Maybe a group of guys who want to get together and come to that. Um, we have, I would say this for guys that are, that do anything in student ministry in March, we offer on a different weekend, we offer a free to anyone that works with students, a free conference called iron on iron. We have about 12 college Bible colleges and seminaries that come and exhibit at that. And it's a resource full, full of resources weekend event where lots of teaching, lots of, uh, resources for people that work with, and even, even dads and disciples and mentors that just want to learn more about how to invest in this generation that is facing, you know, things that, uh, things that, that we didn't have to deal with. You know, you mentioned earlier with the, with the, the mainstream usage of smartphones, kids are facing things that we didn't have to face. And social media is, is at the forefront of that. So we address how do you disciple in this age? How do you work with students with timeless truths of discipleship in a time that is constantly changing? Um, So anyway, that's in March. That's free. It doesn't cost anything to come to men's event in March. Um, Yeah, we got a lot going on. So swoutfitters.com and then go follow us on social media. We put out, by the way, we put out a ton of content 
teaching content, resources, and uh, all of that can be found through those uh, avenues, as well as where you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. We put all of our teaching content goes out on our teaching podcast. Well, Brody Holloway, it has been uh, uh, an honor and a joy to talk with you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you all for having me. Uh, Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. This is a this is a lot of pumped up. I mean, this, this kind of reminded me of the Eva retreat. The uh-huh. get up. This is this is the get up, you son of a bitch, because your daddy loves you kind of stuff. I I hope <laughs> yeah. I hope that resonated with some of our friends that were there in November. Yeah, no whining. I, I'll tell you what, there was I remember my first sponsor in 12-step recovery. You know, I was just focusing on, you know, I got to stop looking at porn and, and going to see hookers. And and he was pointing to stuff like self-pity and self-centeredness uh, as, you know, primary problems in my life. They were completely off my radar. Mm. But, man, I was a real whiner when I came in. Yeah, geez. Self, I'm I'm more of a an isolated self-pityer than a whiner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh but it is the same thing, but just yeah. kept inside. And that is by far the greatest trigger and thing that if I choose to ignore will send me towards everything that's bad for my soul. False yeah, intimacy, yeah. bitterness, anger, mm-hmm. all, all the recipes of my disaster and demise are yeah. usually going to start with self-pity and this isn't fair. Yeah. So I, yeah. and didn't yeah. Allie, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, didn't she have a sign above your dining room in Franklin? <laughs> what, what, yeah. There was a charge, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It was a five cent charge for whining. Yeah. I we still have the sign. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good sign. And Hey, at least she's making some money off of, uh, your activities. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was know, great. It, I, I, it really was. I appreciate, I appreciate that spirit of getting people out to experience life together mm-hmm. in an adventure mm-hmm. like you talked about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then t- to make that purposeful, to get to know Jesus on the walk, not just each yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that it's you know he clarified. I mean, it's not just you know this machismo. You know, be a man. Uh, climb a mountain, kill an elk, uh, you know, that thing. Well, yeah, that, that can be a part of masculinity, but I, I loved that he just, he drilled down to the fight and I kind of saw you resonate to that. You're a fighter anyway. You, you like that. Uh, you understand that we are in a battle and, uh, how do, yeah. How does that, that fighting, battling, warring imagery resonate with you? It's funny. The thing that excited me most was the picture of Jesus joining in with a playful <laughs> playfulness at the lake. Cause I think, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think both of those have to be intact for all of us, regardless mm-hmm. of what we tend towards. I tend yeah. towards aggressive things. Mm-hmm. 
And so what my heart needs most is to remember that sometimes Jesus is like, dude, why are you being aggressive about this? Let's just play mm-hmm. a little. Yeah. Um, so I, I think what I love is the combination of both of those, that you've, yeah. you, you've got your moments on the rapids, but then you're going to get to a shore. And yeah. I need to know how to exist in the boat, and I need to know how to thrive around the campfire. And mm. if I'm missing either of those, I'm missing part of the experience. Mm. And yes, yeah, sometimes, I mean, this has been a really crappy season for me in a lot of ways. And I am definitely at that point where it's like, all right, just get up until this season is done. It's like a daily thing I have to think through. And some days I feel like I, I don't want to. I'm, t- I'm tired. I don't want to keep doing this. Uh, and fortunately, I just don't have another choice. So that's nice. So all I can yeah. do is deal with my attitude as mm-hmm. best I can. And I can do that through self-help or I can do it in partnership with God and spend time with him, writing to him about my frustrations, taking, taking some scripture and saying, you know what? This pisses me off today. I'm sorry. This is a beautiful promise and I don't see it in my life, dad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. And for me, it really helps to be able to voice that to another guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, Sometimes all I need is to hear it coming out of my own mouth and I can see how tweaked it is. And sometimes I need my brother to point it out. Yeah. But, oh, you're so right, though. How many times I have said something and thought, oh, that's just embarrassing that I said that. And yet yet it's honest and I've been feeling it for like a month or a couple of weeks. And then the second it's on the table, you look at it and you're like, I don't want to eat that. I I don't want to regurgitate that. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does make it a lot easier. I think it's something we don't talk about much is that there's a very practical side, not just an emotional side to sharing honestly with our brothers. Mm-hmm. And the practical side, at least for me, is it's easy, easier, far easier to walk away from wrong thinking once I've seen it with another guy sitting on the table in front of me once I've unpacked it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Is well, in our, in our heads, it seems so damn reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the show. Uh, plenty more to come until next time. I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the pirate. Monk podcast. Yo, ho, <laughs> the Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.